All right. Welcome to episode, man, 95. You couldn't convince me this is episode 95, but episode 95 of Fan Fuel Motorsports. I am once again your host, Colton Cranmore. I am joined by, under his new title, the Map Man, Chad Harrington. How's it going, Chad? It's going pretty well. Can't complain. And we are looking forward to filling in for Alex. Yeah, Alex is a feeling under the weather he said himself he sounds kind of like the gingerbread man off of shrek um so if you take that and kind of pitch his voice down a little bit that's about what alex sounds like right now so he's hanging out in the back he's just watching along with us um probably won't chime in um unless we really get him riled up sitting back there he might jump in for a quick rant <laughs> if we say something too outlandish um we're gonna jump right in with splash and dash chad i don't think you've done one of these with me yet i have not all right, so we're just going to rip right on down the list, and then we'll get to talking about the uh, the NASCAR happenings this weekend. So first point I have is F1 had its third race in Australia this weekend, seeing a march through the field from Checo Perez and Alonso showing the might of Aston Martin by being in the podium yet again. Well, I actually saw some highlights on that, and for the way that they came through the field was kind of impressive because F1 is not known for passing, right? It's meant for speed, best car. Usually the best car wins every time. And unless some pit strategy really plays a big deal into it, you get trapped in the back of the field. But in this case, what they're, what they're working on was good. As the race, sort of flipped upside down due to that early costume they had. And I don't understand the tire stuff, but, you know, they had 50 laps on the hard tires. Uh, not sure being that, um, being that it was under red for a little while due to Kevin Magnus from having a parts failure, but, you know, Tell me what you thought about that. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I haven't watched an F1 race since, like, Monaco last year. Uh, I I, I kind of keep up on it. I don't really watch a ton of it, though. Um, my brother does. I just – I never really got into it. Um, but then the race, I guess after that last red flag, resumed and immediately went red, leading to an over 20-minute last lap after the FIA ruling made for the most bizarre ending to a race we'd ever seen. Well, that's quite, quite odd. I promise you that. So um, with that being said, let's go to something we, we definitely know, which would be IndyCar, right? And being the Texas package update, giving them, 300 pounds of more downforce compared to the last few years. Yeah, and Texas is back was the trend on Twitter as the race was the best the sport has seen in an oval since 2017 with passing happening on both ends of the weird asymmetrical track down there in Texas. Well, Joseph Newgard made a last green flag lap pass on title award who had dominated the race up until that point, giving New Garden an unprecedented three in a row at that event. Yeah, which is, I mean, 
when you're talking about an oval race in IndyCar, it's more like uh, I don't know if it's really that comparative to like Daytona Talladega here, but they always seem like just such. I mean, especially at Texas, um, I don't really want to call it a crapshoot, but just anyone can win kind of deal. Um, at least from my perspective, that's what it seemed like the last few years. Did you watch any of the truck races last weekend? I did not. Um, unfortunately, and <clears throat> I sort of wish I had. Um, gonna, I mean, unfortunately for me, I did. <laughs> you didn't oh. miss much. <laughs> It was a. Uh, it was pretty dry at times. Well, um, I guess with no live pit stops and the longest truck race on the calendar, it made made that for a little interesting, right? Yeah the the pit stops were to be expected from not live pit stops, but uh, um, man, it just they had such long green flag runs that it was. It, it did get kind of dry. Um, I think that this race, especially at Texas, was way too long. Um, I told Alex right before you hopped on that I'd have been fine seeing him a doubleheader with 125 laps apiece, you know, and spread the 250 out over the weekend. Um, yeah, it was just it, – it wasn't uneventful because, um, like, you know, Hosevar got shuffled back, um, and he ended up coming back to win it. But it was really just Nick Sanchez dominating it with not a lot going on outside of the top five. Um, just your typical truck stuff, super air dependent, guys running into each other nonstop. Well, I guess that'd be a little unfortunate to do there. But, you know, as typical, NASCAR always finds a way for a green-white checker, right? Host of our one. But what's this about him being in the wrong? So, coming as they grabbed the white, um, Nick Sanchez made contact with, oh, I forget who he was running with, Zane Smith. Um, you know, bumped him down. And then Josevar, I don't think he's in the wrong at all, but all he did was not lift. Um, and the truck kind of got squirrely in front of him, and he ended up hooking his nose right on the rear and sending him up the track, um, Sanchez, into Chandler Smith, um, which I don't, again, I don't think he was in the wrong. I saw that is more of a racing deal of just last lap. I don't want to lift. If you get sideways in front of me, I'm probably going to plow through you kind of deal. Um, it was, it was an interesting ending for sure. But like you said, towards the end, I mean, such a kind of a crap shoot at the end that, and it's inevitably going to go to a green light checkered. Right. Um, I do want to say that the Dean Thompson wreck, was absolutely atrocious. I don't know if you saw the replay of that, but he was damn near stopped on the front stretch and got plowed what looked like full speed. Yes, I saw the replay, and I'm not really sure how you can avoid some of that, um, even with some trucks going at a little bit reduced speed, you know, when you can't see what's going on. Um at that point it sort of would be like you would love to hear the words like a sprint car race or a 
dirt late model race, you know, where as soon as somebody gets upside down, you hear race control say red, 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 and y'all slow down and stop as quickly as possible. That way you, you're not just keeping going, running circles around to prevent a possibility of something like that. Yeah, and even just, I mean, maybe I don't, I didn't hear any of the spotter communication. I'm sure they said, hey, yellow's out, you know, wrecking on the front stretch. Um, I don't even know how much other than say back it down, how much you're going to get that emphasis in these guys ear to, to really put on the brakes without getting run over. Uh, that, that is definitely quite an interesting feat as we see on weekly short track racing, you know, you've got race control and everybody's ears and some of them just fail to listen. I don't I don't know how we can help anything to go with that and make it any better. Yeah, and uh let me see here. Um Alex said he has bad luck. He's the one who got clobbered in the front stretch at Charlotte in twenty twenty one when NASCAR didn't throw the yellow after he was there for almost three laps. Uh, Alex was at that race. Um so interesting to hear what he has to say about it. Um but yeah definitely a a scary moment, especially seeing him loaded on a stretcher. You never want to see that. Um, on to the Xfinity race. I hear that you have had some experience with Chandler Smith. Well, yes, we have. As being a flagman and race director at Atlanta Motor Speedway, Chandler started off racing Bandoleros at, of course, Charlotte and Atlanta. And he won our track championship quite a few times and um for thursday thunder and he is probably one of the ones just like joey logano i mean he went through that and won a record so many races in his bandolero week after week after week it didn't matter if he started eight that joker was driving through the field making passes i mean he was just that good as a kid you know and his parents put him in late models as soon as they could and i think he was 12 when he drove his first late model race that kid's got a wheel man mentality and he can drive but there are times that i've seen him lose his cool and take it out on the person next to him but he doesn't do that that often yeah um it was cool to see him get a win after being so close already a few times this year and really kind of having the best car a couple weeks. Um, good to see him get it done. Um, he he was on DBC this last week, and he mentioned that he uh, isn't afraid to fight people <laughs> if he feels like they need it. So well, uh, I'm interested to see how that plays out in the future. Well, I'm pretty sure that if he is a little video fella. He's probably scrappy. But if you get somebody like him and Austin Hill at it, I, I, I believe he would – uh tuck tail and run because often a big old farm boy kind of deal you know you got to pick on the one that's the right size for you yeah yeah definitely i don't know if i don't know how many guys maybe josh berry could honestly take austin hill in a fight i think we talked about this in a, a couple weeks ago or maybe just in our group chat um yeah i've never been afraid to get my ass kicked but i don't think i'd want to mess with austin hill that much yeah, you're probably right about that. But 
I mean, anytime you see somebody like Chandler Smith, knowing that you were on the flag stand for a lot of his wins as a kid, you know, I've even given the checkered flag to others like Al, uh, William Byron and Mason Massey and Jeremy Clements on on dirt. You know, it's it's really cool to know that I have given these guys checkered flags and you get to see them in the top tier of NASCAR later down the road. You know, that just puts proves that they put in their time and they did what they had to do to get there. And they most definitely earned the right to be where they are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know if you had any other notes from the Xfinity race. Um, to me, there were there was some strategy. Um, we saw a few comers and goers. Um, but it, it, honestly, it wasn't that memorable of a race. It was just normal, another decent, good Richmond race. Right. And, and the track surface is it's probably the slip, slipperier surface that they race on because um, there is never a time that they're full throttle. Um, you're probably quarter to 30 to 5% throttle the whole time. And other than that, you're going to break the cars loose and whatnot. Um, that's the real exciting part. And the ones that can, you know, you say the movers and goers, the ones that can actually take care of the tires the most are the ones that are the ones that are coming back at the end of the run. You know, they might have got passed by four or five, but they're going to pass those four or five and then five or six more. And it makes for good racing altogether because throttle control and the way you feel your hands, it's just a great, to me, it's a great Richmond race. Now, can't say that for the Sunday race with as many times as they shift like they're on a road course, but. You know, you got that old school, once you drop the hammer and you get in third or fourth gear, wherever you got your gear set, you know, you're in that gear. You know, you're not you're not changing. You've got to manage that throttle. And that's why the Xfinity cars, I think, put on such a good race there. Yeah. Yeah, and you alluded to it. Let's move to Sunday for the cup race. Um, I do not like the shifting that we do at any track other than road courses. Um, I feel like it, it kind of dampens the, especially the short track races as of late. Oh, by far. Um, I was, I, I got the pleasure of talking to a driver and I will not name names, but he said that they wanted an IMSA type car. They got an IMSA type car. When you shift five times a lap at Phoenix, and five times a lap, maybe six at somewhere like Richmond or Martinsville. Um, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But you got to do it if you're going to go fast. Right. Yeah. And the teams are kind of backed into a corner now. They they don't have an option to not shift um, because everyone else is doing it and they're turning, you know, burning laps off. Um, and then not only that, but if, if you mess up a corner, you can just downshift and then grab a gear and go. Um, you know, you can't really, there's, there's really no losing it, you know, losing the ass end of it and dropping 10 spots like you used to, you might just drop two or three of having to reset the gear real quick and get it to grab and go. Yeah. Well, you're not going to get the other part of that conversation was 
you're not going to get that car to break loose anyway as wide as those rear tires are. I mean, if you want a car to break loose, think of the difference between an open wheel modified with eight inch rim, eight inch wheels to a dirt late model with 12 inch wheels, right? Which one's going to stick better? And then you take a sprint car and how wide them jokers are. They're like 16 inches wide. The smaller they are, the less control you have in the corners, of course. So I, I think that plays a lot to do in it. I mean, there's just way too much grip for them to actually do something with. But the new package that they got with the less spoilers and some of the things removed underneath has made it better. But it's only made it probably 25% better. There's a lot more they can do. Yeah. Yeah, and we're still dealing with a lot of dirty air issues, um, especially when you get, you know, within half a car length of the guy in front of you. Um, you have to change your line because you you can't, you know, you can't bank on driving in that dirty air and getting it to stick because you're not going to have any air to stick the front tires down. Um, and so we're still dealing with, you know, kind of this aero-dependent blocking. Well, there used to be a bubble of air. Now that bubble is going through those vents and out the hood. So there's not a bubble of air to get the car loose to make a pass. I mean, you yeah. go back and look at the 80s and 90s and 2000s and through the Gen 6 car, that bubble of air to where you could get somebody's tail end loose, it's gone. It's not there. All of that air is being underneath in that raised splitter port or going through those vents and out the hood. Yeah. Yeah, which is really disappointing, especially after seeing some of the racing we have in the last 10 years, especially tracks like Martinsville and Richmond even, um, has still put on good races in the last few years. Not that Sunday was bad, it just wasn't wasn't great. No, thank God it's got a good slippery surface to where they still had to work for it. That's all I can say on that. Right. Um, a lot of people on Twitter were arguing that this should, be, should have been a night race. Um, for so many years, we saw both Richmond races be held at night. Um, do you think this one was better in the day, or do you think it would have been better suited for a Saturday night? Um, with the temperatures, knowing what it would was during the day, I think to this spring race was probably better suited for track heat and the allowance of the cars to slip a little bit with that low downforce and that basically two-inch tall rear spoiler. Um, now, the one in the July that they're going back to, or early August, I don't forgot which one it is, but, yeah, that should probably be a night race. But even then, a night race, all that equals is grip. So you take those wide tires, put it on there and grip. I mean, somebody's either going to run away and hide from the field or everybody's going to fall in line and run the same speed all night. Yeah, yeah, I'm in, I'm in that same boat. Um, I don't understand the people that are in uproar saying this should be a night race. Um, I'm with you. The heat on the track made for at least some decent slipping and sliding around, whereas with a night race, we've probably just seen follow the leader all night um, and cars not being able to get enough oomph behind them to pass the guy in front with all that grip. Now, do I think a possibility would be like the way that the 600 does starts in the daytime and ends under the light. So the track is going through a considerable change and the teams have to keep up with it. And the teams that don't are the ones that 
fall off. That I would be more inclined to watch than just a true day race or a night race because it makes them work with the amount of limited practice they get at some point. I know that they only got so many things they can work on on pit road, but I think the ones that have the best working knowledge of these new cars and can make them work in that transition would put on a better race. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, we saw another Hendrick domination. Um, William Byron, Kyle Larson really kind of forefronted the most of this race um, with Larson ultimately getting the win. Uh, William spun out late in the race. We'll get to Christopher Bell and his comments here in a second. Um, but after this win, the five and 24 were both taken to R and D the next race after their appeal got reversed. You think there's well, anything nefarious going on there? Well, you gotta, I think there's one of those things It's like, well, let's see if they're smart enough to fix it or smart enough to, um, try it again, you know? Yeah. But I thought the five, because they tore him down, they didn't send his back. I actually read where it was the 24 and the 48 they got sent back. Yeah, but I not, think that's Not the nine. Um, yeah. So um, they, that's still three of the 400 cars, right? Right. And yet, um, I think the nine was really the dark horse of the day that nobody saw them even make the changes that they made and he got better all day. Maybe it was Josh Berry getting comfortable in the car as well, but that car improved all day. He just wasn't there like Byron and Bowman and Larson. Yeah. And he did really benefit from that late caution um, to kind of leapfrog a whole bunch of spots. Um, but Josh Berry finished second, um, Man, he he drove a really good race, kept it clean all day, kept the tires under him, um, didn't wear him out too much, and was able to come home second and still hold off a field from that green-white checkered at the end. Well, I will say Alex just typed in and said he's a short track genius, though. And, you know, that's one good reason why Junior Motorsports hired him. And, and he's done so much on the short track world, it just fits right in, in his forte of, how do I need to wheel a car? It doesn't matter. You give him the wheel, steering wheel on a short track, he's going to go through the track. Yeah, especially at a place like Richmond where he can really kind of get the thing set and then roll the corner um, and be easy off the throttle, really kind of plays right into his wheelhouse. Um, we did see a late race wreck with Christopher Bell making contact with William Byron, sending him around um, and effectively ruining his day. But afterward, Christopher Bell had a comment about Ross Chastain referring to him as a wrecking ball and Chastain wasn't even really close to him. Um, so I don't, do you think it's warranted at this point for the drivers to kind of still use Ross as a scapegoat? Well, <clears throat> I, I don't know if you can use Ross as a scapegoat, but last year was a good year to where he's the first one they think of that way, if you know what I mean. Right. Um, it, it's really hard not to get that thought process out of your head of the way that he did drive and was very over aggressive. Now, after being called out, I do see where he's made a lot of changes on that already. And 
you know, maybe it's not warranted, but it's always that first thought. Um, and if you're trying to drive and somebody else got into you, well, you, you've just gotten Ross Chastain, whether it was by Ross or somebody else, you know, it's just an easy thing to come to and pop out your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't really hold it against Bell because it's just like at work. You know, if, if one guy keeps messing stuff up, you find a mistake, you're probably going to blame him first. You know, um, he did later go back on Twitter and rescind that and say, Sorry, saw the replay. Um, but it did lead us to some memes on Twitter about Ross Chastain causing all sorts of disasters. Have you seen any of these? I've seen a couple, and I just, after the second one or third one, I was like, you got to be damn kidding me. You know, just like ignorance, 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 ignorance. I mean, come on, folks. Use a little bit better judgment on yourself. Yeah. Some of them have been pretty funny. Some have not. Um, I'm sure y'all have seen the ones that that are not funny. Um, it is what it is. The Internet's still going to Internet, right? Especially the kids that are my age and younger, right? We're still going to make stupid jokes and probably get flamed for them. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's definitely a generational thing, and I know Alex just chimed in kids, LOL. But I mean, to me, it's like you being a kid and Alex a kid because I'm such an old ass fart, you know. <laughs> I mean, I saw I saw a shirt a while ago that said, uh, "You know, I, I, I'm I'm still a teenager. I'm just in my forties or maybe fifties." <laughs> You know, it's like, you know, whatever. But, yeah. I mean, I don't think, even if we would have had social media like that, I don't, you know, there's just certain thresholds that my generation just wouldn't go across. Um, some people now have no filters whatsoever, and they don't understand that they don't have filters and what it can and cannot do. Um and as you've seen some of the comedians to where they've had to retract stuff that was 14 years old or something like that when that Twitter first came out, you know, it's like, you got to be kidding me. You're going to go back and look for something 14 years ago. Culture was completely different back then. But at the same time, some of the memes that we saw, some of those go back in time that same sort of way to where, what are you thinking? When you right. see those, you know, it's just some of them are uncalled for. Some of them are, you know, if some of them are funny, you get a chuckle. But if, you know, one or the other, it's just how you perceive them. Right. Yeah. And ultimately, I mean, what do they say? Opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one. Most yeah. of them. Yeah. And some of <laughs> them got mean. two. And some of them's got two. One, you know, some some certain people's got one on their shoulders and one in the pants. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Um, pre-race, we saw a lot of drivers talk about aggression in green-white checkers, especially after Coda last week. Um, and more moving to Coda, drivers are calling for some single-file restarts toward the end, maybe during the green-white checkers, um, blaming a lack of respect for a lot of the late race wrecks that we have, especially the repeated attempts. Um, and then even as far as Kevin Harvick saying that there's no punishment for driving like an ass because these cars don't wad up like they used to. Well... I mean, the cars are stable. I love the fact that they don't take 
and flattened tires and ruined so many people's days just by whatever. Or that, you know, you can just barely get into somebody like some of these cars at one point in time. Next thing you know, you just barely touch the wall or something like that on lap 14 and you're trash from there on out. I mean, mm -hmm. it, I do enjoy the fact that the cars stand up for the durability and are able to put on a show even at Daytona and Talladega if they are on the damage policy clock, you know, it's like they still out there, they're still competing. Yeah, they can't lead the line, but be daggum if they can't push somebody, you know, it still puts on yeah. a good show. The kids, I can go all the way back to Chandler Smith and, you know, the way that the kids his age and everybody were taught completely different than the way that the generation that's about to get ready to retire from NASCAR was taught. And now there's a fine line in what you're having to teach them because of the way that they were taught. And I can honestly say that in about eight to 10 years, we're not going to think that the way they're racing now is as bad as what's coming in. I yeah, mean, you got to go back to the 70s and the way that everything was handled in the garage. Go back to the 80s, the 90s. I mean, it's completely different from every era and everything. So I don't know if you could call it a lack of respect as much as a, maybe our teaching and what we showed them on TV when they were a kid is the way that they are ultimately getting raced like right now. Because think of how many of these people grew up watching Jimmy Johnson, Kevin Harvick, even Joey Logano, right when he was getting started, right? And now these kids are in there mixing them up with some of these folks, and it's like they get there's no lack of respect. Well, look at what y'all did on TV, the way y'all carried yourself. Where was the respect then to where they learned it now? And that goes back to going backwards in this whole thing. And it takes on a whole nother meaning of they asked for the double file restarts. They asked for the choose. And now they re on themselves and saying, no, we need to be single file. We need to be put in a box. Well, you know, sometimes you have to reap what you sow and pay attention to what you ask for. You ask for it, you ask for it, you ask for it. So them jokers got it, right? And they got the choose cone. And to me, they're they're a product of their own success and failure. Um, granted, maybe after three green-white checkers, yeah, let's penalize them and do them, start them single file, you know? But at that point, too, if you're at fault in one of these wrecks, you put their butt in the back, too. Don't don't not let them keep leading the race or whatever because they move the guy out in front of them and wreck them and cause that caution. Put them in the back of the longest line or at the end of the tail end of the single file line. Teach them a lesson at the same time. It's the only way to, it's the only way to fix it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, you brought up a couple good points that the kids nowadays are learning to race 
entirely different than 15, 20 years ago, you know, even further back than that. Um, when you grew up and, and the win and you're in has been in place now since 2014. So we're on our 10th season of the, the win and you're in playoff format. So kids like Chandler Smith was 10 years old when that started, you know, and he's essentially grown up most of his racing career and surely all of his stock car driving career with this idea coming from the top that, Hey, winning is everything. So do what you got to do to win. Um, like you said, we're showing them that for 15, 20 years, you know, we're replaying Dale senior spin and Terry at Bristol. Um, it's really hard for them not to grasp onto that and to, to take it and run with it and say, this is what you got to do to win. Um, yeah. I mean, look, look at what they always show that, but they don't show Jeff moving rusty or rusty moving Jeff and not spinning them out. Right. Yep. And that doesn't, it doesn't raise as many views, doesn't get as many people talking, you know, but uh, that's true short track racing and how you should conduct yourself. You know, if you get it, you pay it back. You don't, wreck yep. them. you don't stuff them in the wall. That's the respect that people forget about. Yeah. And, uh, I heard Jeff Burton say once that the, the kids now have not, it's not that they're learning it in our eyes, they might be learning it wrong, but to them, that's all they've ever known, you know, and it might be, he's even said it's way harder. He don't think he could cut it trying to come up the ranks anymore because of how tough everything has gotten. Um, which isn't fair to the guys like the Harvicks, like, you know, the Kyle Bushes, the Denny Hamlins who've been here forever and gotten to know that same kind of cordialness that Mark Martin taught them and Jeff Gordon. Um, but I mean, no one's there to teach them either. You know, I mean, I don't see Kevin Harvick sitting these guys down every week. I don't see Denny Hamlin doing anything, but you know, they're kind of talking to media. I don't see him taking the steps. Um, and it, even at that, how much can we really do when it's a generational thing? Um, it's kind of seems to be all over. Cause I see it even at my local track, you know, the younger kids are racing a lot harder and with, you know, using the Chrome horn a lot more than I saw 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, man, I had notes here because you brought up a lot of great points. Um, I'll have to, to go back here. What did Alex say on us? Markability is now cursed. They never have to pay for the damages. They never see highlights of Mark letting guys go and then killing by them on the end of the run. Um, and then Mark, Mark said, use your shit up. I got you in 25 laps. Um, and that just goes back to the whole package deal. You know, we don't really get to see guys save their equipment as much anymore because you can save it so much just by shifting and by the arrow. Um, well, stages have proved the point of you, you got to go get those 10 bonus points or at least one for finishing 10th in the stage, right? You got to use your crap up. Right. And you got to yeah. use it up again in stage two. And then you get this long run between stage two and the end of the race. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of a daunting task, but nobody knows today how it used to be to where you had to save your jump for all 200 and whatever said laps on a mile and a half or 300 miles, 300 laps on a mile and a half. Um, these kids nowadays coming up, they can go balls to the wall for stage one. Stage two, oh, let's calm it down till we make our pit stop. And then I can go balls to the walls again. Yeah, yeah, that definitely plays in. And, and you brought up the 
the choose cone and the double file restarts, like we, as much as the drivers might gripe for it and some of the fans, like we can't go backwards on that. Um, you, you probably could, but you're not going to get a very good response from a lot of the drivers and a lot of the other fans just because we, like you said, we beg for it forever. You know, let's double file restart. You know, let's get some overtime attempts. So we stop ending under caution. And now it turned into, it's turned into what it is now. I think limiting the green-white checkers would, I don't even know that it would mitigate it. It would probably just have a lot of races ended under caution. Um, because guys would know this is the last attempt. Let me sail in and hard. Uh, we've actually tried the limited attempts on the green-white checker, and we failed at that too, remember? And then we actually had that that dreaded blue line as as long as you made it past that, we were golden, you know? Mm-hmm. No, not even that. So, yeah. I mean, the only thing that will help in my eyes is the fact that they've got so many TV cameras. And if you were the one that hit somebody or got into them and spun them out, and yet their car's wadded up and going back on a rollback or taking up on the record, if you were part of the cause of that wreck, put them in the back so that they can't do it again. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. There should be some sort of hammer to come down. You know, if you're involved in an incident, you get sent to the back. A, because it'll get drivers to clean their shit up a little bit and stop just sending it in and using other cars for brakes. Um, and B, now they're out of the way. They can go hit noses and bend fenders all they want in the back and not collect anyone else. Um yeah. I always like that at short tracks. You see two late model guys or modified guys going at it and hitting each other hard. They both get sent to the back. Now I'm watching a great battle up here, and I'm watching these two numbskulls down here too. Yep, because they're going after each other for wrecking one another and spinning mm-hmm. the other one out, and they're having their feud out there in the back. And guess what? It's still on the track. It's under green, and they're going after one another, and it's not in the pits. It's not this, that, or other, anything else. They're not using it as a weapon or anything, so it's all good. But yeah. some of the stuff that they are doing, it's to me, they they need to be slowed down. You know, and at a rate, as a race director for the quarter mile at Atlanta Motor Speedway, right, we've asked for why ain't y'all using replays? Well, we don't have a camera system set up up there for replays. If we did, by all means, I believe we would use it to make sure that certain cars were or were not involved in that accident and put them in the back or whatnot. But we do not have one currently. Now, how many cameras does Fox and NBC right. and everybody and use? Right? Yeah. Yeah, how many do they bring? How many tools do they have at their disposal to implement something like that? Um, dozens, right? Got to be dozens. So they could easily fix that problem and police it the right way. But I don't think the guy in the tower truly wants to be the one to make that call. And by all means, I wouldn't be the one that makes that call. But if you got video evidence, then you can say, okay, let's circle this guy. Let's circle this guy. Let's circle these guys. They all made contact. They were the four that was in the start of the wreck. Everybody else had damage. They're going to eliminate 
themselves regardless or whatever. But these four guys didn't really have that much damage. They're yeah. going to the back. So say ninth place at that time becomes your leader because we just penalized them for creating that melee under a green white checker. I think it'll work. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think something needs to be done, but I don't necessarily think it's single file restarts. I think there are other avenues that can be taken that would lead to less uproar. Um, well, even Dave Moody said NASCAR's never had single file restarts unless there were no lap down cars. Right. And that, that is by happenstance of the only way that NASCAR had a single file restart. But the rule was always lead lap cars to the right, lap cars to the left. Yeah. They've always had double file restarts. It's just that all it was set up a little different. It wasn't lead lap cars up front, lap down cars in the back. It was lead laps on the right, lap down on the left. Yeah. Um, speaking of uproar, just released earlier this afternoon, um, we saw last week that HMS got their points penalty rescinded. So they have no points coming out. Um, they still have the $400,000 fine across the organization. Crew chiefs are still out for four weeks. But the 400 points and the playoff points have been given back. College Racing had their appeals today, and they are still docked 75 points for essentially the same thing, if not a lesser offense, than Hendrick Motorsport had. Um, they're still docked 75 points, um, still get the uh, the 10 playoff points taken out, um, and still have the fines, still lose crew chief, everything like that. Well, I'm going to say this. Somebody has went through the appeals process a lot more as a team than the other, okay? Depending on how you present your evidence is one case and one way that you can pull this off. Did they use the same exact three people last week as they, they did, did this week? So that is another possibility of change in why. Um was there a specific reason that was a little bit different than what Hendrick Motorsports was in the report that NASCAR gave to Hendrick versus Colic? The only reason I say this is because we know it's incredible when somebody wins an appeal um, because you have to have all of your ducks in a row. You have to have all of your evidence to prove that you were not in the wrong on this. Um, Jeremy Clements, he said he got lucky and just had everything he needed, you know, and it was perfect. Um, what was the intent behind there was no intent with Jeremy's case, right? It would just happen to be that he's a smaller team and he's used the same motor for, I don't know, however many times down the road. But now, what is the intent in the way that they look at Hendrick versus Collins? Right. The, what, did, what were the exact modifications did they see to where it was not quite identical, but similar. Looking at it, 
just the base value of what we know, because obviously you and I are not sitting on the appeals committee, um, and we aren't inspecting the louvers when they come back from NASCAR. Um, Hendrick had eight louvers confiscated. Colleague had one. Um, Hendrick admitted to modifying the part. Colleague got permission from NASCAR to run it and still got it taken. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the uproar is coming from, including for myself that all four Hendrick cars were found to be, a, you know, penalizable, you know, in both louvers, whereas Colleague just had one car, one louver um, that was admittedly wrong, not spec from the supplier. Whether that's the case with Hendrick or not, it, it very well may be. Um, we heard the comments from Chad Canal saying, hey, they're coming to us kind of effed up and we modified them so that the hood would close. Um, and I, th I think a lot of the uproar just comes from why is there not more consistency or why is there not more transparency from NASCAR to the teams um, and to, to everyone involved? Yeah, I believe we could probably look at this Wood Brothers and Penske with the way that they did what they did on those wheels, remember? Right. To make them safer, to make them stay on the car. Um, um, I'm going to go to the fact that, like you said, colleague was told they could use it, right? Well, did they have that in writing saying that it was good? Did they have the NASCAR approved decal on that saying that they could run it if it needed one because it was something that was controversial and was already brought up to their attention? Um, maybe, maybe not. Uh, who knows about that from our side and our view, but that would be like you go into your local short track, you made a phone call and the track owner said, yeah, you can run that right rear tire. We don't use them here, but it's your first time. And in the rule book, it says you can get away with pretty much anything in your first trip to the racetrack. But then everybody protests you because you had a harder tire, right? And then they throw you out after the track owner says you could run it. So what... person did they say said right. that they could run it right um and then like you mentioned the appeals team was different so we're not getting the same same guys you know bill lester wasn't looking at both these he just looked at the hendrick one um the guys on this just looked at the colleague one so it it opens the door for for politicking um you know guys presenting their case a little bit better um, and that's kind of what you mentioned is, do you have all your stuff lined up, all your ducks in a row to be able to actually defend this? And maybe colleague didn't, you know, like you said, they have not been through the appeals process near as many times as Hendrick has. Um, so there is some experience that plays into there. Um, but I think we're seeing a lot of the fan reaction feed off of people in the industry, like the other crew chiefs who are getting upset that there isn't the transparency of finding out, okay, well, they did this and they didn't do this whereas colleague did this and not this. Um, I think if NASCAR would release just a little bit, at least to the teams and the team owners to say, here's what it was. Here's why that decision was reached. Um, Cause I feel like a lot of the uproar on Twitter is being fueled by the crew members. Um, 
you're probably right about that. Um, and you got to remember all of these appeals back in the eighties and nineties, they were never reported on. Remember when, right. when we got to the two thousands, the media, the teams, they all wanted a little more transparency so that they would publish a little bit about it, but they still don't publish the whole story. NASCAR right. doesn't release a, a, a true report saying, okay, here is points A through whatever, and list them out like a document with five bullet points under each one of A, each one of your letters, you know. And the average fan, would they understand the, the language that they may use in parts of that? Other racing people probably would but a just your average fan may or may not be able to understand the verbiage used in some of the ways that they do it i mean we've all seen the section so such and such paragraph four lines item 2.3 b under written by c12 you know as right. it's as the rules and fractions say but you know where does that i mean just say page 28 on a rule book under this that and the other this is what it states you know but there's so many things in the way that it i just don't un, i just don't think that enough people would understand if they released one of their reports based on the way that they put their verbiage in text form for rule books to understand what it actually means um so it could be a lost cause on all of our cases and sometimes okay maybe we just have to go back to it being behind closed doors and just said okay this is how it is this team is we reduce the fine based on this 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 and this or we upheld it because of this and this because of the way it was done like so if it would be so simple it it would be very much more relatable and understandable to all fans all racing minded people all racing uh industry people as well i believe yeah yeah, and Alex brings up a good point um, that I thought of there. Like, the rule book isn't public, so um, like you said, the verbiage and everything, A, most people probably aren't going to understand it as it's written, nor are they going to understand it from kind of the legal jargon that they're going to be putting this appeal into to release anything written. Um, but also, the rule book isn't public. Every rule that we know of, in the current form of NASCAR is all based off of hearsay or it's Bob Pocker's reporting. Um, we can't go look up the rule book to see exactly what Hendrick did or colleague didn't. Um, so, I mean, it ultimately it's still going to be up to speculation and us, you know, armchair racers are still gonna, gonna say what we think, right. Regardless of, of whether we were right or not. Yes. And which also proves a good point. Um, we can sit here and debate just like what we had for the last 15 plus minutes, right? Just what 
NASCAR is still on our mind. We are still completely talking about it. We're talking about it past the event, and we're still going on about this points penalty, right? From weeks ago. Not that happened Sunday, but weeks ago. But yet, the race that was just ho-hum on Sunday, and here we've got another couple of days worth of good NASCAR, this, that, and the other, and they stay so relevant due to that, the fan base is that way. It's just like the NFL and the injury reports. And it's like, oh, no, somebody strained a big toe on practice and Wednesday, jogging down through there with his helmet and his shorts. He may or may not be eligible to play on Sunday. Yep. Yeah, same thing. Any publicity is good publicity, especially um, when you're talking about something as massive as NASCAR. Get people talking. Um, it's still going to be good for the sport. Um, I'm going to wrap it up here. Chad, do you have any last notes? Um, you have a new company. I don't know if you've talked about it yet. I don't know if you want to yet. Well, no, I mean, I can. It is Matman Designs, and it is formerly doing exactly what I've been doing for the last five or six years. Um, I've had a lot of the racing community reach out, and they asked if I was still making mats, and I found a way to provide them with the mats still. Um, so, you know, back when Tanner English introduced you to Chad, the mat man in his phone. So that's where the mat man designs came in from. Um, and, you know, we still do a lot more in the dirt world than anywhere else, but we have made some big grounds. Um, I would like to say Joey Gase was one of my first three customers this year. So we have Matt's in the Emerlin Gase Motorsports in the Xfinity Series and Jordan Anderson followed me through this venture and he's been getting Matt's from me the past four years as well. And the, the cool part is, you know, Al Sco sponsors one of his thing, and he told him he had a mat man. So he, he did not get the match from Al Sco. He had a mat man. So that was, that was sweet. Yeah. Hell yeah. And being that most of these guys race on dirt, that's the reason we got it all started. Right. So we can segue into the fact that, some of our local dirt heroes are going to be mixing it up with NASCAR and trucks and cup on Sunday. And I'm going to just say the million dollar Superman will yep. be one of the prime examples driving a Spire motor sports truck and a college racing third entry on Sunday. And as humble as it sounds, you know, he's actually raced, Legends cars at the Thunder Ring down at Atlanta Motor Speedway. He's raced at Sonora all over North Georgia. And he was a Georgia guy for the longest time. And then he was regional. And then he just stepped on it and became a big time dirt late model racer. And got a couple of dirt Lucas Oil dirt late model championships under his belt. And World 100 wins and everything else. So... I think a, any dirt guy has a real good shot at making and pulling off a win. It may be the wheel man himself. 
get Mr. Jonathan Davenport. Yeah, he was probably the most. He's gonna. He's gonna the most excited that I'm. Or the the, tang tangled up. He is the one that I'm really excited about running this weekend, just because he does have so much experience and he is so skilled behind the wheel of a dirt car. Um, we've seen the dirt ringers do good in the past. We've seen the dirt ringers kind of just hang out before. I think he's going to be one to really kind of ruffle some feathers. Um, I look, depending on weather, the weather is not looking good for this weekend in Bristol. Um, but if we get these heat races in, he could very easily steal at very least a heat race um, and, you know, bring some big knuckles to the fight come the main yeah. event. He, um, he can. I, and, and, and here's you another one. You know, you said you wouldn't get in a fight with uh, Austin Hill. Yeah, I ain't touching Jonathan Davenport either. <laughs> yeah. Jonathan's a pretty big old guy as well, but Norm Benning is not one I would like to not make uh, unhappy on, on the truck side. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, I will say that they are probably one of the ones that are husband and wife that will be overlooked on dirt, and that's Stuart and Jessica Friesen. And... I believe that given the right shot, the right opportunity, and the right look fall either one of those guys is in gal's way, you could have a pretty good major dirt win by a dirt driver. I mean, she's a definitely good girl on dirt when it comes to handling those big block modifieds now. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Carpenter is another one that's going to be in there. E. Yeah. He's, he, he's good. Kind of. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah. that that and the, him and Hudson going at it in the dome this past year. He, I mean, he just. Yeah, he he really. I was excited seeing him win the dome in 2019. It kind of had a, an underdog feel to it, but man, I really do not like that guy anymore. <laughs> to put it lightly, some, some people just rub your nose the wrong way. You know what yeah, I mean. There's a reason that he's only relevant a week of the year. I'll, I'll say that. The one thing that I'm looking forward to is actually tomorrow because uh, Kyle Bush is going to be driving one of one of uh, my buddies, Brandon Overton's dirt late models at Volunteer for the Kyle Larson promoted flow racing event. Yeah, I did forget that was going on this week. Um That'll be super cool, especially for Kyle Bush, who's been doing a lot more dirt stuff recently. Yep. And then Chase Briscoe's supposed to race in that. And he's also going to bring the dirt late model to Talladega Short Track, Talladega weekend, when they're going to have two, uh, tw I believe it's two 20 lap features, 4,000 to win on Friday night. And then they're going to have a 50,000 to win World of Outlaw feature on Saturday night before the cup race at Talladega on Sunday. So that's one that I'm hoping to get to one way or another. But yeah. getting to see all these guys that in one way, form, or fashion have the mats in their racing rigs are always a good thing. So, and knowing that we started it for the dirt guys, it's definitely one of those fun deals to go to races and see nowadays. Yeah. And I was, uh, I'm kind of jealous, y'all. I was lucky enough to see a race at the Talladega Short Track when I was there in 2019. Um, super cool facility. Awesome to to even be able to see it 
especially see guys like Red Farmer race down there. Um, just an awesome experience. If you've never been to it and you're listening, if you are within a couple hundred miles of it, be sure to at least check out the Talladega Short Track um, at, at some point in the coming future. Check it out this spring if you can. But that is a, a must-see for, I think, just about all racing fans out there. Yeah. Well, I've had a good time tonight, Colton. Yeah, and we kept about right out an hour too, so Alex yeah. will be real happy. Kept it brief. He won't have as much editing to do, and hopefully, I didn't cuss too much. I've been trying to be a little bit better about that. Um, other than that, I just want to say thank you, Chad, for coming on to fill in a little bit. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah, man, that was good. I'm uh, for those of you watching, I have I've kind of peeled back a little bit. It at least now for the time being um, to an every other week um, show. I just need to uh, to catch up on a lot of stuff at home, especially with my eBay store I got. Um, garage sale season's coming up, so I really got to kind of put my nose to the grindstone here. So you'll be seeing me intermittently. Um, Keith has been doing really good about filling in um, the weeks that I am not here. Um, but fun as always to hop on and talk NASCAR. Um, be sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That is YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook at FanFuelMSM, capital F, capital F, capital MSM, Instagram as well. Nate has been doing a really good job about that. Um, check it out Easter Sunday. Bristol Dirt's going to be on. I know I'm going to be watching, even if I got to flip it on at Grandma's house during Easter dinner. That says a lot right there. <laughs> She'll get over it. Um, all that being said, uh, thank you guys for watching. This was episode 95. Wow. Take it easy. We'll see you, Chad. See you.